Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Spark Hub podcast, where learning is an adventure, and certainly this episode pulls no punches. I speak with Caroline Clark in Australia about how she took her four boys and her husband out of work and school, respectively, and took and they all went on the road together for about, well, they were supposed to do six months, ended up being 22 months. It's quite the story, and it goes around the world as well. We go deep on lots of topics, including perception from parents uh, to friends to even academia and how they view taking kids out of school for long periods of time and especially to travel. What are the ups? What are the downs? What are the lows? What are the highs? We cover a lot of that stuff. And just as a bit of context, I know Caroline from about 20 years ago when I lived in Australia. We met traveling. We became friends. We both went uh, our own ways in life. She ended up moving back there, marrying, having four boys. I, of course, have my own family. But we reconnected to discuss uh, what what odyssey she went on, and it is fascinating. So I won't prevent you any longer with this rambling intro, except to say, as always, uh, for a deeper dive on all these things, look in the show notes below the episode or go to thesparkup.com for other stuff as well. So without further ado, join me, join Caroline, join her boys, join her husband on what is one of the most incredible road education stories in a country of walkabouts. Okay, Caroline, thanks for coming on Spark Hub. Um, as is tradition here, I'd like to uh, hear an inspiring quote about gets you going about what we're about to talk about. Well, yes, my inspiring quote is when people show you who they are the first time, believe them. Don't wait for the 20th time for them to show up the same. Believe them. Uh, and who said that? Who, who, who can we credit with that quote? I think it was uh, Maya Angelou. Was, was her, her famous quote? Well, then on that topic, so the reason I wanted to get you on uh, Spark Hub is because you have a fascinating story. Um, you have four boys. You live in Australia, and uh, you took them on a wild journey that I think started as, a, as an ambitious six-month jaunt and sounds like it went a lot longer. So I'd just like to dive straight in and say, first of all, tell us a bit about maybe you know your background, uh, where you've come from, why you're in Australia, a bit about your boys, and then, and then what prompted you to say, boys, we're going to hit the road. Yeah, thank you, Alan. So, yes, I'm originally from the UK. I moved to Australia in 2004. So it's been almost 20 years and had my four boys here. The eldest one is now 16 and I've got 11-year-old, a 13 and a 7-year-old. So all the boys are Australian. And we spent 14 years of that time in Sydney beautiful we lived in the eastern suburbs i mean very affluent and then we moved to the northern beaches where we built a house and we're all very settled and then suddenly oliver the eldest his best friend lost his dad who suddenly died of a heart attack and i think it was the grief and the loss of such a young man he was in his early 40s at the time made me realize how how short life is and I think we had these conversations about what legacy we'd want to leave behind for our children if suddenly we passed away and I just started to I think there was a, almost like a light bulb moment if I have to be honest because I looked around at the this affluent community and these children just had everything um, including my own which I will admit and I think one day I just woke up and thought, I didn't have that life. I was raised in a in Yorkshire, in a mining town. We only ever got 
birthday presents and, and Christmas presents, nothing outside of that, where everything's at our children's fingertips. And I just thought, is this really serving them? Is this really real life? Because it's not the life that I grew up with and it's a beautiful life, but I almost wanted to pick the four children up away from this beautiful, affluent, perfect community and show them what real life is really like. And interestingly enough, just before we did decide to go on our road trip around Australia, there was a huge spate of teenage suicides in our local area. So I think that was a good indication that on the surface, everyone looks like they've got their lives together, but underneath all of that, you know, money's not everything. There's obviously families that are cracking, they're probably working full-time parents and the children are left at home and struggling mentally. So I decided to take the kids on a road trip around Australia, which was originally supposed to be for six months. However, when you look at the size of Australia, you can't get very far in six months, as you well know. Yep, but I know I that think, too well. I had to go back twice <laughs> and I yes. still didn't cover it all. <laughs> yeah, so you can't get very far, but I think that was a good starting point. So I said, let's rent the house out and let's go on a road trip together. At the time... I remember just thinking about all these Aboriginal communities that I was desperate to take the children to see, just to see the chalk and cheese lifestyle. And I was hoping that six months would allow us to get far north and into these really um, far away towns to show the children what, show them their culture, really. I mean, they, they're Australian and without actually visiting Aboriginal communities and learning about the educational value around that, then growing up in the northern beaches of Sydney is not really showing them the true culture of of, of what they've been born into. So that was the start of the trip, which ended up being 13 months around Australia and a whirlwind four-and-a-half-month world trip in the end. So it was a big extension. So you just kept going. It sounds like you got so much momentum and things were going well. I mean, just just quickly, um, for a timeline purpose, what year did you do the trip? So we set off in April 2018, And we finished in October 2019, so just before COVID. And interestingly enough, on the trip, I had this little voice that said, you've got to do a world trip. You may never get this opportunity again. Five months after we returned, COVID and lockdown hit. And I just thought that was the voice going, just make the most of it. Talk about timing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and what what age were your children, a uh, bottom and top, during in 2018? Because I'm trying to get a sense of what age they were at uh, when you. When you yeah, so the youngest was about to turn three, so he was little. His memories are probably um, not great, yeah. uh, but I was uh, the youngest was three, and the eldest at the time was 11. So I was, he was my main concern with education because I sure. really wanted to grasp that opportunity before he went to high school or at least before you know the 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 pressure of education came on board so I was more focused on the 11 years so it it was three um seven nine and 11 turning 12 yeah so here's the big question I would have I mean I I've always been a the the thing you just said that the timing was perfect is like there was a voice telling you you had to do it there's an inner instinct that people often ignore and I think thankfully you were paying attention and thankfully you've logged this trip but I guess to another parent it might be scary to take one child let alone four I'm assuming you took them out of out of education or you had to sort of homeschool them on the road how was that received by the, the schools that they were going to were they were they encouraged by it were they like hey go for it or were they saying no they're going to 
lose some crucial learning years, especially with such a big set of age groups. I mean, that's that's huge. I'm glad you did it, and I'm sure you'll tell me all the benefits. But what when you when you first started out, what were schools saying? What 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 were the kids' worries about education? Did you have any concerns? Well, originally, it's a really good question. Originally, we were going to do distance education. We have different states here, and and one state is very different to the next. We couldn't do that form of education in the in the state that we were leaving from. So we were very restricted. We could do some form of homeschooling, but then they needed to know exactly where you were traveling at certain dates to receive mail. And I, uh, part of me thought, well, that's that really, um, the whole part of the trip is to be spontaneous and change course wherever you want. But if you've got to be in a certain destination at a certain time to receive the mail for the schooling, then you're very restricted. So that really took away the whole idea of the trip. So for the first time in my life, I decided you know what, let's just go. The, the, the whole world is their education. And if I have to be brutally honest, I would, homeschooling in a caravan, three children at the time, I knew would be very, very difficult. So my expectation of them was to do a journal. I expect a journal from you and then we will learn on the road. And then when we got to Darwin, I put them in school for a just almost a term and then when we got into WA I put them in school for eight weeks so they had two little stints of education just to see where they were at and it's interesting because when we got to Darwin this teacher who'd been a teacher for 30 odd years wonderful man and he said your children stand out head and shoulders above the rest he said I can tell they're worldly and they're traveling because socially was the first thing they're extremely social beings when it comes to geography and history, they're bang on the money. They're very open. He said, so it's as if they're in a crowd and their heads are standing way above all the other children. So that, at that time, that was enough reassurance that I was doing the right thing. On the other hand, when we got to England, it, <laughs> the scathing comments I got from the family in England, because it seemed very much more about education. From what I remember, people in the UK don't seem to travel as much as they didn't do then. Whereas in Australia, it's, for generations, families have taken their children on road trips. It's, it's, it's supported by schools here. So in the UK, I it, yes, it was how can you take your children out of school? Surely they'll be behind. And then when I got back to Australia, my eldest would, was going to year eight. So he'd missed a whole of the first high school year. And it was I was concerned. And then he went to the interview and he sat in the interview because it was a private school for 45 minutes. And the teacher said to me afterwards, I've never had a 13-year-old a, a come in and hold a conversation like he did. He said he just had me for 45 minutes and just talked so again, it was just these little indications of social skills, having a conversation. He had something to talk about because he experienced an incredible, incredible amount around the world. So education was not a problem at all. In fact, it, it pushed them way beyond where they you were mean, meant to be. Whilst there might have been a fear they'd fall behind, it sounds like the opposite. It sounds like they've slingshotted too far ahead. And so do you, do you now have a conundrum where they could easily get bored with, with formal education? Is there a worry that, that they're going to have wanderlust sitting in a classroom? Or do you feel that they, you, know, you did it at the right time, they got that taste, and now they, they can sort of buckle down and focus on education with a view that once they get out, they can do more of it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think they got to a stage where they wanted to settle into routine again and meet some friends. So I think it gave them, it was a perfect time, um, a perfect time to travel in every sense, as I say, with COVID then hitting and the, the, the ages of the children and the primary school children, you know, they they learned so much on the road, far more women than what they would, would have uh, experienced in primary school. But, you know, children want to fit in, don't they? So then go, they go to school and they're keen to be part of a community. So they were longing for that. It'd been 22 months by the time we arrived back. So they were ready to immerse themselves into a, a school community and, and make some friends. I guess a question on the mentality you encountered. So, you know, the Australians seem to be encouraging of the walkabout. Maybe it's part of the landscape, part of the culture. And then, as you say, in the UK, it was about formal education, putting the time in. But one thing I wondered was 2018, and you're dealing with schools that have to mail you materials. Mm. Now, when COVID hit here and we had the lockdowns, everything was on iPads, Google Documents, cloud sharing. It seems odd to me, Australia, with the mentality of walkabout, wouldn't be set up in that way. They would still be doing paper. Was there a reason for that? Was it a particular school they were at? Yeah, it was more the internet connection. I mean, you when you think about the vastness of the country and you're traveling into a lot of, you know, areas that have haven't really got technology, I think they wanted to make sure that you had um written work so that you couldn't maybe have the excuse that, oh, I'm sorry we couldn't log on online. And there was a there was a requirement that you would have to log log online and have a classroom interaction with your teacher every so often, but it was it was paperwork for that reason because internet wasn't reliable enough. And as you were traveling, did you meet others in your situation? Were there, were, there, were there other families that were doing the same thing? Heaps of families. In fact, we met a beautiful family from Adelaide who we met them in um, on the east coast of Queensland. And they had three boys who were the same age as our three, uh, the eldest in the middle and the third one. So we traveled with them for three months. So that was beautiful because it also gave the children some form of a relationship outside of the the family because it can be quite isolated on the road depending on who you meet because there were a lot of older families a lot of grey nomads traveling so I was really concerned that the children had a group of friends that they could also play in the dirt with and explore so we were lucky enough to meet a family who we traveled with for three and a half months of our trip. And did they have did they basically have kids of similar age was that yeah, they had three boys. So when I've got four boys, so they had three boys in the same order as my first, second and third. So that was just a stroke of luck, really, wow. that we met them. But did they have the same? I mean, this is made seem like a strange question, but did they have the same school issues where you did where they had to be at certain points to pick mail up? Did they have the, were they on that same sort of curriculum? they did the same as us. I think a lot of people left with the intentions of, oh, we'll do schooling. And then most people, it just fizzled out on the road. To be honest, I mean, there was no, you know, when it came to accountability, I think it was pretty loose. And when you were on the road, I think the the strains and the stresses of just getting from A to B is 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 hard. Packing up every day or second day to then to try and fit in that real one on one time with your children who are all at different stages. So what I would say is, okay, today we're going to go to this museum and thinking, well, we're covering history, we're covering geography, we're covering science. And then you just make it your your playground and your world is just what's around you and you can make it work that way. That's fascinating. And um, so here's a big question, the $64,000 question. Did you get your kids off devices? Was the road stimulating enough that they were able to balance screens and real life? 
I think we lasted about three months without them. And then we caved in. And it was actually this family that we met that had three children. They all had the devices. So my children were like, hang on a minute. You said we couldn't bring devices, mom, but they have got theirs. So it was bittersweet meeting them because it meant, it meant we had traveling companions, but it reintroduced the children to, to devices. But we mainly just used them in the car. I mean, there were days when we we're traveling 12 hours. And I think, it, you know, for the children and for our sanity, you know, provided they'd done the journals, then we would introduce a little bit. And we didn't have a lot of internet connection. It's not really like it is now. But I don't feel that that hindered in any way, shape or form. I think it was just a form of compromise. Well, I have an experience to share with you. Which I was obviously a pre-teenager, but I went to something called computer camp. And what it was is that you spent half your time in a, in a computer room. And of course, we're going back a long time when computers were might be just in green and had big clunky keyboards and had huge servers. And you'd spend half your time outdoors. You'd be doing archery, canoeing, various sports. And I found that fascinating because when I, as I grew up, a lot of my career and the things that have happened now rely on tech. And I have to be technically savvy, but I'm still kinetic and connected to the outside world. And I'm trying to, with my kids to do that where we don't limit their screen time because what tends to happen is they, they, they binge really great content. Like one of my sons is rabbit holing on science and servers and tech. And my other son, who's completely different, uh, likes art. So he likes, you know, storylines and, and cartoons and he likes to doodle. And what I find is if you let them have that freedom and it's quality content, then they find their own moment to run outside and play or sit down. I have an idea I'm going to draw. So I think there's, it's, it's in today's day and age, it's hard to strike that balance. And I, some parents went as ruthless as you did and say no devices and caved in. Some have gone, you know, open source, liberal, whatever, but they monitor what they watch. And so I think, you know, it, what's interesting about what you guys did is you caved in, but at least you were on the road. And so it, it strikes me that they had the balance I had in computer camp, which is to say there was a technical aspect, which, by the way, has, we have to let kids use these things because it's a viable part of the future. But you still want to retain the humanity. And so my next question is taking them away from this idyllic northern beach life, taking them away from their school, taking them on the road. What reality did they actually get to see? Mm. That's a Beautiful question. I'm glad you've asked me that because what springs to mind is when we arrived north of Cairns, I remember it's the first time the children had ever seen anyone begging on the street. And we walked down this street one day and I saw the children's reaction when they saw there was just a line of Aboriginals with their hands out sitting on the ground. And I gathered all four boys together. I actually feel emotional when I, when I think of this. I gathered them all together and I said, I just want to have a chat with you about what you're about to see. And I said, these people are here on the street through circumstances we've really got no, no understanding or any idea about, but they're here, they're homeless, and they're asking for money. They are human beings like you and I. They've got a heart and they've got a soul. We are not above any of these people. So as we walk down the street today, I want you all to look at these people in the eye and give them a smile because we're all humans and we never know when life is going to change and we may one day you know be in a situation where we need to depend on others so we walked down this street and the boys said hello to every single person who they passed that for me was a moment the, the greatest moment because that was my intention to take them out of this affluent lifestyle that they've never ever seen a person begging before 
to into a community to show that they had compassion and empathy. And when we got to New York, the same happened. And it became a bit of a joke because they wanted to hand money to, but of course, you know, of course it's New York and they're literally littered. Um, and then they'd look at the, the the plaques that these homeless people would have and some would have really funny comments on their advertisements. So they'd choose the ones that made them laugh. And then we got to San Francisco and my second boy, who's extremely sensitive, said, you know what, mum, it breaks my heart to come to somewhere like San Francisco. He goes, look at the city. Look at the amount of money they have here. Why are there people begging on the streets? And I said, that is a really interesting question. And he said, when I'm older, I want to, I want to change the world, mum. I, I want to change this idea of this rich and the poor and, and, and people can be in this amazing city and have a, a beautiful lifestyle, which is like we had yet there are people here who've got nothing. How can that happen? He goes, I want to make a difference in the world. And I just put my hand on my heart and said, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Because it's allowed them to have humility and compassion and empathy and realise that not everybody lives the way we used to live. This is what the world is like. So I wanted to take them out of that lifestyle and thrust them into reality. And that for me was reality. And what I got back from them was for me, it filled my heart because that's the intention of the trip that I had. Wow, that's so powerful. And you cannot get that lesson in a classroom, can you, ever? You absolutely can't. And, you know, when we went to Darwin, they they studied different, they studied about, you know, hurricanes and more of the Aboriginal culture. They wouldn't have got that in Sydney. So they were learning different methods of education in the pl- different places that we were visiting um so i think when it comes to compassion you have to immerse yourself and feel it you know the senses they say that our greatest memory is our sense of smell so when you might walking down the street and you get a smell it takes you straight back to childhood or to a, a, a you know an event and and that's what i'm noticing with the children it's like you can't feel that until you've smelt it you've touched it you've seen it you've you know, you've had that experience. You can't read from a book and go, oh, yes, those those people are, are, are suffering, they're in poverty, unless you've actually been there and, and experienced it. Of course not. We have six senses, and in a classroom, how many are motivated? You know, how many are stimulated? Yeah. And you, 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 you uh, fired on all cylinders on that one. And so, I mean, look, I mean, we could talk for days probably about the trip, but I have a, a question about, uh, you know, you, you told me about the build up to it. You overcame the academic stuff. You overcame a bunch of things. You had this wonderful trip. Clearly, you got emotional memories. Clearly, there's smells and feelings and touches embedded in a memory that I feel will fuel them for the rest of their lives, whatever they do. So I have, I have another question, which is I have two boys and they have completely disparate personalities. <laughs> and so I wonder with four boys what that would be like. What you, you say, one child's sensitive, one, one might be more robust, but what what came alive in each of them and how did you see each of their personalities blossom in their own way because it seems to me like four is quite a lot of personalities to manage but how did you find that experience what what burst out of each one of them from the sensitive one to whatever the opposite of that is Mm. absolutely i mean the eldest one is much more worldly wide he would be reading every single plaque in every national park every museum he was just a sponge for information he could regurgitate he could talk to someone who could just explain it in his terms exactly what he'd read and understood 
the second child, the sensitive one, he wasn't interested in reading anything. He was the one who just, just get me to the top. I just want to see the view. I'm not interested in reading the information about it. But he didn't want to go, funnily enough. He's a home bird. He's the second son. So he was the one who resisted the trip. And I, I was trying to explain to him that once you're out on the road and you realize how much you're gaining from it, just trust me. And he was the one who didn't want to come home, interestingly enough. He said, I don't want to come off the road. So he didn't want to go. But when he'd immersed himself in it and realized how much fun it was. And then the third boy, he's just, he's an outdoor character. He's very physical. So he was the one just, you know, digging holes in the dirt and rough and tumble. And I guess the little one was little, um, but it's almost like half of his life was then spent on the road. When we got to um, when we got to a, a beautiful place north of Cairns, so this is at the very almost the north tip of the east coast of Australia, I said to my eldest son, who was eleven at the time, "When you turn twelve, you know you can do a skydive." And he's like, "Oh, really, Mum?" Said, "Yeah." I said, "You know what? You have to experience it. It is. It, once you've done a skydive, nothing's impossible. After that moment, you realise how." courageous you are how strong you are just I think it's just the most amazing thing so when he turned 12 we were in western Australia and we ended up pulling up in this caravan park right next to a skydive place and I said to him you're 12 now Oliver what about that skydive and he said oh go and chat to them so he went over and he spent the afternoon chatting to all the guys working there and he goes you know I'm gonna do it I said that's amazing amazing i mean a beautiful place it was right over the indian ocean and just north of perth and he said <laughs> he said to me okay mum, i'll do it but you know you're doing it with me right and i said oh no i've done two skydives in my 20s i'm like in my 40s now and he went no mom the deal is if i do a skydive you've got to do one with me i was like oh god i can't pull out now can i tell him how courageous you know and how strong you are so anyway i went up in the the airplane and we we're like we went to fourteen thousand feet, the highest that will go. I mean, I hated it. Like, obviously, twenty years older than the last skydive, but that—that's my mentality. It's like the world's your oyster; nothing's impossible. And if you can just push yourself and take risks, and realize and feel what you're capable of, then the sky's the limit for the rest of your life. So, at twelve years old, he did a skydive, and then my second boy's done two skydives just after his twelfth birthday. It's family tradition. <laughs> yes. So this is a very loaded question. This is a wonderful journey. You've had four boys with different personalities. You come back, you settle back into reality, COVID hits. Yeah. Australia, from my understanding, was one of the most heavily restricted countries um, in, in, in the Western world. And so what, I guess I have two questions. One is, what was that like to come from that high and then end up in a lockdown in a country with heavy restrictions? And the second question is, do you feel the embers of that trip made COVID a little easier to deal with than maybe a, a, a somebody who'd never traveled, who'd never taken the risks you do? So two very loaded questions, but I'd love to hear your perspective on coming from the high and then heading into the low and how you guys came yeah. through it or didn't, as the case may be. Yeah, wonderful. No, I think I'll answer, I'll answer the second question first because what got us through that time was gratitude. How grateful we are that the rest of the world, you know, is struggling, yet we have just had this 22-month trip 
around our own country and the rest of the world. And I remember my eldest son said, Mum, you know what? It, it doesn't matter if we can't travel because look where we've just been. Look what we've just experienced. So I think we all sat in gratitude that this trip was meant to happen. We were meant to experience and say goodbye to grandma who passed away when COVID hit. So it, we came from this sense of real appreciation that we're the lucky ones. We got to see the world. Some people may never see the world. Well, I mean, the world as it was isn't anymore, as we know. However, restrictions on travel, you know, some people may never be able to travel like they used to. So that aspect of it allowed us to really anchor into what we made, the reality of what we made possible and how lucky we are compared to the rest of the world. The second question, yes, Australia was very restrictive. Luckily, when we moved back here, we didn't live in Sydney. Sydney was hit very hard. In fact, the northern beaches, incredibly hard. And there lies the next question, you know, coming back to Sydney. We, we, weren't, we weren't meant to go back to Sydney. We weren't meant to put our roots down somewhere else. And I think now looking at how, how Sydney was affected, the fact that we chose not to move there, and reliving our old life you can't live your old life and pick up where you left off when you've done such I feel such a huge trip I mean we would never have slotted back into that life of where we were prior there was we'd experienced way too much so we moved to the Noosa hinterland which is beautiful subtropical part of Australia and we bought three acres of land so we didn't really have restrictions here, if I have to be honest. We were, the kids had got motorbikes. I, I said after having the, a backyard of this endless, you know, rainforests and beaches, there's no way I could go and live back in an envelope of a back garden. We had to go and live somewhere where we were, could still have the freedom to run around. So we've got three acres and we didn't really get that affected um school was hard for the children because I think um yeah school was a bit in and out for a few months but aside from that we we sat in gratitude and compared to everywhere else we were certainly the lucky ones wow it sounds like it, it was if I were if I understand correctly it was more sustaining than it was damaging and, and interesting how each state in um, Australia had a different policy. I think in, in my home country of Canada, it was the same province by province. It was different. I think in the United States as well, each state had a different policy. Um, so yeah, but everyone's had to come through COVID in their own way. And I think I guess in one way it trained you to be for homeschooling in a way, but I guess it wasn't mobile homeschooling anymore. All right. So you've settled back into life. You've done this trip. You've achieved a lot. Your boys have memories that will last them a lifetime and maybe motivate them. Um, are you guys going to stay quiet for a while? Or are you thinking about there's maybe another another version of this to happen? Where's where's your head at now? Yeah, I would love to do um, Canada. I mean, I've done quite a lot of Canada myself and America with with the children. I said my next aim would be when my eldest turns eighteen, so he finishes school, and I have a little window. I feel I feel for the youngest one because he just say, "Oh, mum, I don't really remember." I don't remember that. So it's almost like I feel like I'd love to give him the exposure to have more of a memory. So oh, my traveling days are, are long from over. I love my, you know, I'm just experiencing different cultures and countries. So I'd love to spend more time and in a couple of years time, maybe do another trip. But my eldest did say to me when we're on the road, you know what, mom, 
I'll be doing this with my children when I'm your age. So it, it, it's like it's in their blood. When, they, when you've done it and you've taken them out at such a young age, um, you know, that's, that's the dumb thing then. And this is what happens in Australia. You know, you'll see grandparents traveling with their grandchildren and children. It's, it's just, it's like it's in their blood. And that's what I hoped for. It can go one way or the other, but I think they've all got a love of travel, definitely. Do you feel after the COVID, this is more of a business question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because maybe you've observed something that I haven't, because I, um, unfortunately, we didn't travel much during COVID. We didn't get out of the UK. And I start to wonder now, um, with all the headlines I read about schools being underfunded on one hand, and parents having now, you know, tried homeschooling or be forced to do homeschooling, suddenly going, oh my gosh, this is hard. I wonder if people like you or the people that you attract or the community that does this, whether it be in Australia or anywhere else in the world, if there's, uh, is homeschooling somehow going to merge with traveling? Because now everyone's used to working from home. Now everyone's used to, you know, as, as, as hard as it was, there's now hybrid working. And now I look at job postings and I see hybrid remote. It's stuff you'd never saw two, three years ago. I came up in the advertising world and we always had that like a day or two from home or remote working. That was, you know, part of our culture for 10 years, but now it's mainstream. And so what I wonder is, have you observed anything where you go, Oh, you know, we did this in 2018 pre COVID, but if we're now going to do it post COVID taking away any restrictions or any of that kind of thing, actually it's easier. More people can do this. More people can hit the road. There's a community there. There's, there's um, I don't know, points where you can stop off in school and, and maybe pods. And so instead of getting stuff mailed, there's maybe a better system set up. So I just, I wonder if this has happened or if this has accelerated what you did or maybe given people the confidence to do it. If, you see, if you've seen that change in the past four years. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of homeschooling families around here. And I think the ones that wanted to travel and then weren't able to for such a long time, it's given them the bug. They've gone, okay, if we've got a window of time now to travel, let's just do it because who knows when our rights will be taken away. The rights of freedom. We had freedom taken away from us. So I think it's allowing families to look at what is really important. If I can educate on the road and still tick certain boxes and then live this beautiful life outside of that and still work and earn an income, then why not? Because we, our world has changed enough for us to be able to remotely work, to, as you say, you know, um, have careers that don't need to be in the office. Children can work online. So I think for me, having done it, I wouldn't hesitate to take my high school children out for three to six months because it doesn't need to be as long as what we did. And this is what I want to express to families. It doesn't need to be 20 months. I mean, circumstances for us just evolved along the way that extended the trip it can be three months you can extend onto the six-week holidays and take them out of school for six weeks three-month trip with your family will instill some amazing memories that's amazing and just to sort of put a fine point on it the quote you opened with about when someone shows you who they are the first time it sounds to me like your boys have been given that gift whether they're talking to a school or friends or anything they they are now able to shine through in ways they might not have um, had they not done the trip. Yeah, I'd just like to say when it comes to education, I think we are very sort of 
fixated on you know grades and results for me and my boys it was more about socially being able to interact because that's what gets you through life you know you can't you can't sit in an interview and have a conversation then you'll be it'd be very difficult to get yourself a job so I for, for me I'm very encouraging about just socially being able to talk and interact and as you say now you know the children they're all on these iPads and devices where they're they're messaging they're not speaking so traveling allows i always encourage my boys from a young age to go and go to the counter and order your own food and buy drinks and the mum that you know when they used to say mum will you buy that no 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 you go from very little you know learn how to talk to people learn how to interact and because that's what gets you through life and and traveling on the road and immersing yourselves in different cultures and different languages when you can't communicate you have to use sign language you know your kids have got to work it out right How amazing is that? Well, thank you for coming on today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And thanks for sharing your story. It's an education onto its own. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Alan. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, If you like what you hear, you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com.